There was a grapevine rumor that today was to be the day for the FDA announcement. In view of that, I waited to call the FDA again. Not too surprisingly, no announcement. We have updates on adding hydrogen peroxide to fish water, but nothing on our horses. I'm Abby Nemec, and this is A Time for Horses. Many people have sighed for the good old days and regretted the passing of the horse. But today, when only those who like horses own them, it is a far better time for horses. C.W. Anderson. You're listening to a podcast about people and horses. Each episode, I take a look at a true story that connects somehow to horses, horse people, or the horse business. I'll tell you the story, sure, but I'm also going to tell you why I think it's a story worth telling. So, set the cruise control, step onto the treadmill, pick up a pitchfork, or pour another cup of coffee. I've got a story to tell you. Episode 7, Regulatory Discretion. Don't you love the internet? It's full of so much stuff. Lots and lots of different kinds of information on pretty much any topic, as you are probably aware. It's also a social place. Even early on, before we had smartphones, tablets, and social apps, we had discussion groups. In one of these groups that I belong to around about the turn of the century, I met someone who really inspired me to push on in learning more about just about everything. She contributed absolute volumes of information to the group where we met, insisting that we should be rigorous in making decisions and do things based on legitimate evidence. Not just because someone said so and you trust the person who said it, but really because you know the facts behind it. This connected pretty deeply with me. I'd been raised to believe that we should lead with facts, question authority, and speak truth to power. That person who drove us all to ask better questions and question the answers is Dr. Eleanor Kellen, VMD. And over the last couple of decades, she has informed and shaped and inspired my professional life. I'm honored to call her one of my most valued mentors. So there was another member of that group, Robin Siskel, who had started her own group late in 1999 to discuss a particular medical condition of horses called pituitary pars intermedia dysfunction, PPID for short. You may have heard it called equine Cushing's disease, and it mostly affects older horses. Robin's group was known on Yahoo as equine Cushing's. Every so often, she'd mention her group on the other list, so I knew it was out there. Dr. Kellen soon became a key contributor to Robin's group as well, and within a few years, she would become co-owner and leader of the group. This disease, PPID, is a hormonal condition, an endocrine disorder. It's irreversible and degenerative. 
One of the most concerning of its many consequences is the painful hoof condition known as laminitis, which is often the trigger for owners to first seek treatment for their horses. If you've listened to our first story on A Time for Horses about Staff Sergeant Reckless, you might recall that laminitis is one of the leading reasons for humane euthanasia of horses. And I'll add here that untreated PPID is one of the leading causes for euthanasia due to laminitis. The story of Reckless was told in episodes 2, 3, and 4 of our show. If you want to listen to that story, you can find it in your podcast directory or on our website at atimeforhorses.com forward slash flame of the morning. The equine hoof, at least the part you can see, is made of dense horn that protects the sensitive tissues inside. Inside is a small bone called the coffin bone that's suspended in a dense and complex network of different types of tissues, and it's supported underneath by an arching sole and a thick elastic cushion at the back of the hoof. The function of the equine hoof is so important that one of our most ancient sayings about horses is, no hoof, no horse. You see, the horse doesn't lie down to sleep like the way a dog does. They will lie down for a small part of every day, but they are actually prey animals, and so their every instinct is to preserve the herd by having sentries on alert, and most of the herd on its feet, ready to flee in an instant. They're grazing animals, and in the wild they spend a good 16 hours of their day walking and eating. The domesticated horse retains all of the needs, abilities, and instincts of its wild cousins, and so it's critical that it has healthy, comfortable feet in order to feel safe and secure. Let me repeat that. It is critical that a horse has healthy, comfortable feet in order to feel safe and secure. Now, imagine this horribly painful condition of the hoof called laminitis, in which that network of tissue suspending the bone begins to fail. In a bad case, the bone may drop or rotate down within the hoof capsule, flattening the sole and cutting off circulation to the hoof. In the worst cases, the bone can penetrate right through the sole of the hoof. The common name for the condition is founder, but since that has other meanings, we try to avoid using it in discussing the medical condition. Laminitis is a progressive condition, and it usually affects the feet in pairs, especially the front feet. But it sometimes affects all four, leaving the animal with no good leg to stand on. It's a killer. Literally. Even in the earliest stages, laminitis pain prevents the animal from walking normally, and the stress caused by that alone can trigger other hormonal changes that make the condition worse. The reason so many horses, donkeys, and mules are euthanized for laminitis is because stopping the pain is a race to find the cause and start treatment before the condition worsens to the point where the animal loses the will to live. If you're going to win a race like that, you'd better have people on your team who know the condition very well.
I think it's testament to the prevalence of PPID and the importance of getting the treatment right that since its founding, the Equine Cushing's Group now represents the largest field trial database in the world for PPID and insulin resistance, which is the other major condition that triggers laminitis. With Robin's original vision, Dr. Kellen at the helm, and a team of dedicated volunteers in support, members flock to the group and to its offshoot groups discussing general care and hoof care, with the simple desire to help their animals in crisis. In 2013, members of the Equine Cushing Support Group formed Equine Cushing's and Insulin Resistance Group Incorporated, a tax-exempt charitable corporation in the state of Arizona. They also have developed a comprehensive website, separate from the discussion group, at ecirhorse.org, with a vast array of resources that people can get to and use without joining the discussion group. The organization has also hosted a biennial conference known as the No Laminitis Conference in 2011, 2013, and 2015. You can find the proceedings of those conferences at ecirhorse.org as well. The next No Laminitis Conference will be held in Tucson, Arizona in October of 2017. The website also has a page for the conferences and a place to make a donation in support of their work. I've put a link to the site in the show notes at atimeforhorses.com forward slash regulatory discretion. The discussion group itself was migrated in April of 2016 from Yahoo Groups to the service groups.io. At the time the discussion was closed, there were over 12,700 members in the Yahoo group. To appreciate that number, I want you to think for a second about the vast impact that this kind of reach might have in the horse world. Because of the power of the information and the support that they provided, all by volunteers, the group's established protocol for managing a horse with PPID or insulin resistance has gone from educated guesswork to a niche practice, and then, more than 15 years after the group's founding, to become a mainstream approach to care. One of the horses that I had at the time was a little gray pony by the name of Tony. We'd bought Tony for our eight-year-old daughter in 2000 with his primary job to be something she could groom on her own and lead around without any help. He was also rideable, although he wasn't a huge fan of that job, and by the time she was about 10, she'd moved on to more agreeable mounts. I'd suspected when I bought Tony that he might have early PPID. I'd had two other affected horses previously, and so I had a sense that with a hair coat that wasn't quite normal, he might be in the early stages of the disease. Both of my previous Cushing's horses had been euthanized, for reasons that were probably related to the condition. So I was not naive about Tony's future. I knew what was going on, you know. I was feeding all of my horses in a way that had them looking very healthy, except for the pony. And as we went from sort of fall 2003 into the winter and spring of 2004, the pony started not to look so great. He was losing weight and looking a whole lot older than the 16 to 19 years old we guessed him to be. Based on what I knew about weight gain, I poured the carbohydrates into him. But the more I fed him, the skinnier he got. And I was looking at Tony and thinking, well, here we go again. 
He's got Cushing's. He's aging, and here he is going downhill. And it's sort of sad, but it is what it is. We loved him dearly, but I didn't think there was much I could do to help him. Now, up to this point, Tony had been generally healthy for these first few years. It hadn't seemed necessary for me to join the Cushing's group right away. As far as I knew, the cost of the meds was out of reach, and I was feeding a sensible diet based on my decades of experience feeding horses and plenty of study on the topic. I wasn't new at this by a long stretch. But at this point, I looked at my pony and decided to join the Equine Cushing's discussion group after all. I had this thought in my mind. I wonder if there is anything they are working on over there that I don't already know that I might be able to use to help my dear pony on his way to the grave, right? One of the major effects of PPID is that it makes many horses insulin resistant. Some are already that way beforehand, and Tony may have been one of those. But by loading him up with the wrong kind of high-carbohydrate diet, I had actually pushed him over the top so that he literally could not take up the calories in his food. In spite of all the food, or maybe because of it, he was starving on the inside. According to the group, my first step would be to take the simple carbohydrates out of Tony's diet. That done, my pony became bright and alert and started gaining weight right away. There was no going back. And then, with the diet under control, I had to figure out how to medicate his PPID. Let me quickly explain what it is that's going on with this condition. There are a number of hormones that go up and down with the stress response, and one that's important is adrenocorticotropic hormone, ACTH for short. ACTH causes the release of cortisol. In a normal horse, most ACTH comes from the posterior lobe of the pituitary. When cortisol reaches a high level, a negative feedback mechanism causes production of ACTH from this site to shut down, and cortisol drops as well. In a horse with PPID, the intermediate lobe of the pituitary overproduces ACTH along with a bunch of other hormones, and the feedback loop that should suppress it includes dopamine. ACTH goes up, dopamine goes up, pushes ACTH down, dopamine goes down. However, also in the Cushing's horse, the neurons that should produce dopamine are damaged and stop doing their job. And so ACTH, along with a bunch of other hormones, starts to go crazy. We test for PPID by looking at the ACTH level in the blood to see if it's in normal range. We treat it with pergolide, which works by acting like dopamine. It triggers the dopamine receptors, so the hormones are brought under control. Pergolide mesylate was, and still is, the gold standard treatment for PPID. At the time, the brand name drug Permax would have cost $300 a month, which was a fortune for me. If that was the only option, Tony would not be receiving treatment. However, as an active member of the Cushing's group, I had learned that many of the members were buying their pergolide from compounding pharmacies. Using compounded medication, a veterinarian could prescribe a different form or strength other than tablets, and owners could adjust their dosing more carefully, which is helpful to manage the side effects of pergolide. It was also much cheaper. 
This leads me now to the topic of the special rules that control the use of pharmaceutical medications for animals in the United States. It's going to get a little bureaucratic in here for a minute, so I hope you'll bear with me. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, is an agency of the Department of Health and Human Services, which is housed in the executive branch of the federal government under the president. The FDA's role is to protect and promote public health through control and supervision of food safety, tobacco products, prescription and over-the-counter pharmaceuticals, and the like. It also oversees food and medication for animals. A medical doctor is tightly restricted by the FDA in what can be prescribed to a human patient. A veterinarian, on the other hand, is allowed more flexibility through something called extra-label drug use. Extra-label use only means that a drug approved by the FDA can be used for animals in a manner outside the terms specified in its approval. This might mean it is used in another species, say if a drug approved for human use is prescribed for your dog. It might be used for a different condition, at a different dose, maybe in a different form or through a different route of administration. If an approved drug is needed in a dose or form that isn't commercially available, a compounding pharmacy can buy the approved medication and produce a liquid, capsule, tablet, powder, or other form in the right strength. Before 1994, extra-label use was against the law. Then, the Animal Medicinal Drug Use Clarification Act of 1994, also called MDUCA, gave veterinarians the legal ability to prescribe extra-label uses of FDA-approved drugs when the health of an animal is threatened, or when suffering or death may result from failure to treat an animal. Please note that a key reason for passage of this act was to alleviate suffering or death. Keep that in mind as you listen to this story. And so it happened that in the summer of 2005, I started Tony on a compounded dose of pergolide for the first time. And it was like a miracle. What I saw was exactly what I had read about so many times in the group. His rough hair coat dropped in clumps to reveal a shiny white coat underneath. His hooves changed their growth pattern. His wasting muscles plumped up almost overnight. His ribs no longer peeked through. And most importantly, he ran about like a wind-up toy. He was happy. The change had to be seen to be believed. Pergolide had literally saved Tony's life. As I go into this next part of the story, I'm going to include the content of messages from the Equine Cushing's group. For the most part, I'm only going to use people's first names or usernames to identify them, and I'll be using excerpts rather than the full text of the original messages. If you have questions about any of the content, the archives of the group are available online, and you can join and read the messages yourself at any time. I've put a link in the show notes to the groups.io site where you can find the discussion. It was on the 30th of March in 2007 that Senior Rider posted message number 89457 on the Equine Cushing's group. The title of the message was, in all caps, 
Permax, off the market. And the message itself read, quote, A friend just emailed me information that was on the net stating that Permax is being taken off the market due to causing some problems in humans. End quote. Almost right away, Joan wrote back to say that the notice was on that day's issue of MedWatch, stating that pergolide had been associated with serious heart damage. The FDA notice read as follows, quote, FDA Public Health Advisory, Pergolide, marketed as Permax. The FDA is notifying you that the companies that manufacture and distribute pergolide have agreed to withdraw this drug from the market due to the potential for heart valve damage. Two new studies showed that patients with Parkinson's disease who were treated with pergolide had an increased chance of serious damage to their heart valves when compared to patients who did not receive the drug. The companies that manufacture and sell pergolide have stopped shipping pergolide for distribution and will, in cooperation with FDA, work to remove from the market both the name brand Permax and the generic versions of pergolide. In the interim, healthcare professionals and patients should consider all treatment options with the understanding that in the future the drug may no longer be available. End quote. Dr. Kellen would be a key player in the events about to unfold. She posted her first comment two messages later. Quote, First, don't panic. The valvular and lung fibrosis problem in people has been known about for a long time. In humans, most recent studies are finding about 22% of people on pergolide develop some level of dysfunction of their heart valves. The number that develops serious problems much, much lower. As for horses, as far as we know, this has not been recognized as a clinical problem. We probably have more long-term follow-up on Cushing's horses here than even in university vet school records. Some horses here have been on it for five, even ten years. End quote. The discussion at first was about trying to figure out what the rules were that surrounded the problem and what was likely to happen as a result of the withdrawal. The next morning, Dr. Kellen explained to the group what we knew at the time and what questions she was going to tackle first. Quote, as far as I know, treatment of pituitary dysfunction in horses is the only veterinary use for pergolide currently. I have no idea what the size of that market actually is. The voluntary stop of sales only applies to human use. I'm not sure if the manufacturers even realize how much of the drug is going to veterinary compounders. If the chain is manufacturer to drug wholesaler to compounding pharmacy, they probably don't know. As far as I can tell, there's nothing to prevent them from continuing to make it and sell it for veterinary use. End quote. It turned out that there were two distinct groups of wholesalers, compounding wholesalers and human finished pharmaceutical wholesalers. The former would supply the compounders, obviously, and the latter would supply those companies who were making tablets for the human market. It seemed as though there were two different sources for the raw drug. At least there were two different supply chains. Within a couple of days, we had a little more information. The following message from Dr. Kellen came from April 2nd, three days after the original notice. Quote, There's no immediate shortage. 
drug that is already with wholesalers and pharmacies will stay there, but no more shipments will be made from manufacturers the way things look at the moment. In the meantime, if you haven't already, make sure you let your compounding pharmacies know about this so they can snatch up what pergolide they can. End quote. On April 3rd, Nancy put up a post saying that the group had just reached a big milestone. We had 5,000 members. Quote, Congratulations to Robin and Eleanor. Many thanks to you both and to the many members for unfailing commitment to horses and their owners. May we continue to work together to make a difference. From my horses and me, thank you so very much. End quote. At this point, we were all in a sort of holding pattern, waiting to see how the situation might evolve. Some of our members reached out to other professionals to get their take on it, and word on the street seemed to be that availability for veterinary use wouldn't be a problem. Dr. Kellen responded, saying, quote, That's right, to the extent that there's no prohibition of use in animals. I think we might be missing the boat on the problem, though. Here in the U.S., at least, manufacturers may no longer be shipping the drug to wholesalers for sale. If the compounders can't get it, we can't get it. Compounders need to ask their wholesalers to check directly with the companies making the drug to see if they will still be shipping the drug out for veterinary use. End quote. And this was the beginning of our worries. Would the withdrawal of the human product mean that the pharmacies couldn't get it? In a couple of days, and it's still only early April at this point, Dr. Kellen clarified the difference between human and animal use of the drug. Quote, Pergolide isn't an approved veterinary drug. There's no veterinary brand, form, etc. It's all the human drug. The official FDA notice that manufacturers will no longer be shipping pergolide has to do only with human use no voluntary withdrawal of drug involving animal use. But at this point, we're not sure if manufacturers even know it's being used in horses. End quote. Then Amy put up the first announcement that hinted at what was about to happen. Quote, I just called Par Pharmaceuticals, one of the two generic manufacturers of pergolide. They have stopped manufacturing pergolide. The person I spoke to had no idea that horses are depending on pergolide for their survival. I emailed Teva Pharmaceuticals, and we'll see if I hear back from them. I'll call them if there is no response. Ugh. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. End quote. Back and forth confirmed that these manufacturers were indeed the ones supplying the generic tablets that many on the list were using. Mara spoke for everyone when she said, quote, I know we are supposed to remain calm and not panic, but I would feel much better to know that there is some definite plan going forward to make sure our Cushing's horses are being taken care of and their pergolides supplied insured. End quote. Dr. Kellen responded quickly, quote, it's going to be a matter of economics for the manufacturers. If the market is big enough to warrant it, they may keep producing for equine use, end quote. At this point, Kelly took the bull by the horns and set up a petition to start collecting signatures, which was a huge step forward. 
It's still out there on the web. I've put a link to it in the show notes. Now, this was only a couple weeks out from another crisis at the FDA that you may remember. Several brands of pet food were recalled after they were found to be making cats and dogs sick and killing them by the thousands. The FDA found that melamine had contaminated some ingredients that had been imported to the United States from China, and the ingredients had gone into many different brands of food, from the cheapest up to the high-end products. Dr. Kellen got some information from a list member related to the pergolide supply chain, making what would be only our first comparison to the tainted pet food scandal. Quote, All of the bulk pergolide, both in brand-slash-generic human tablets and that used by compounders, is purchased from companies in Southeast Asia that are actually making it. Sounds like the pet food scandal, doesn't it? Brand name Permax is the same thing as generic. Generic human tablets are the same as veterinary bulk compounded. He also informed me that four of the seven wholesalers who were carrying pergolide are no longer going to stock it. We have to get to those remaining drug wholesalers. End quote. Later that day, Dr. Kellen posted her action plan. Quote, I've been following the petition all afternoon. It's going strong, almost 120 signatures in seven to eight hours. Keep spreading the word. Put up messages on every horse group you're on and email every horse owner you know. I spent a few hours this afternoon contacting compounding pharmacies and associations. We need prescription numbers. All of you using Pergolide, please contact your compounder and ask them to sign the petition and also include the number of yearly or monthly veterinary prescriptions they fill. Those numbers are absolutely critical. Ask your vets to go sign the petition and take a minute to make a comment on how many horses in their practices are on Pergolide. I've already notified my vets only group and tomorrow we'll tackle the AAEP. That's the American Association of Equine Practitioners, the Equine Vets Membership Association, and American Horse Council for support. There's no reason we have to lose access to Pergolide. We have a lot of power. Let's put it to use. End quote. She encouraged everyone to reach out to the wholesalers to make them aware of the need for compounded pergolide, sending a link to the petition, which was approaching 700 signatures, representing thousands of horses. She shared a copy of the letter she had written, letting them know the size and importance of the veterinary market for the drug. One important point she made in her letter was this, quote, There are currently 10 to 12 million horses in the United States, of which approximately 10% are aged 20 or older. It has been estimated that virtually any equine that lives long enough will develop the degenerative changes that leads to pituitary dysfunction and Cushing's disease. This disease may begin much earlier in some horses, in their teens. Pergolide is needed by these animals for the remainder of their life. End quote. The compounders all knew the size of the veterinary market since they served it, but it seemed many of them hadn't tried to reorder yet, so didn't realize that they wouldn't be able to get the drug from their wholesalers. Dr. Kellen explained the situation as we understood it at that point. Quote, Production of generic pills and brand name Permax has stopped. 
done. It's not an approved veterinary drug, so they can't really apply for a special permit to make generic pills for veterinary use. The compounders are our only hope, end quote. However, as she looked into it further, Dr. Kellen realized it was more complicated than we thought. This wasn't going to be about getting the compounders or even the wholesalers on board. This came from higher up, and it spelled trouble. Quote, In speaking with some upper-level management at drug wholesalers yesterday, they came up with a variety of reasons for not stocking, or considering not stocking, pergolide. The FDA has been increasingly vigilant about asking the wholesalers to identify where the drugs are going. With the human market shut down, it would be obvious it's going to veterinary compounders. Problem is, according to a compliance guideline document, this is not a law, it's a statement of action the FDA might be inclined to take under a given set of circumstances. Compounding of veterinary prescriptions from bulk drugs is a violation. Here's where it gets sticky. A federal court decision in a Texas district found that compounding of veterinary prescriptions from bulk drug was not illegal. The 1994 Amduca doesn't mention compounding from bulk drug ingredients. Wholesalers that fear prosecution are not going to stock this drug. That's why we moved the FDA to the top of the contact list on the petition. I haven't gotten any feedback from the FDA yet. We'll let everyone know as soon as I do. In the meantime, keep the pressure on. Email the FDA, end quote. And that is what we started to do. The contacts we wrote to at the FDA were the following. Stephen Sundloff, DVM, PhD. He was the director of the Center for Veterinary Medicine, the CVM. Dr. Marsha Larkins, DVM, who was ombudsman of the CVM. Virginia Baer, who was ombudsman of the FDA. And Andrew von Eschenbach, FDA commissioner. These, along with David J. Horowitz, deputy for compliance policy, would become known as the Big Five, those people who were involved with this situation from a regulatory perspective. On April 10th, the story started to appear in the online press. The journal The Horse published a short piece that basically brushed off the concern, based on an interview with an FDA official who didn't understand the problem. Within a couple of days, Dr. Kellen brought us up to speed on her first exchanges with Dr. Larkins at the FDA. Basically, she confirmed what we already knew, that pergolide compounded from wholesale bulk medication was, according to FDA policy, illegal. She also provided a list of every state's board of pharmacy that Susie had found. The thinking here was surrounding those two court decisions that upheld the legality of compounding from bulk drug. The disagreement in the courts could leave the door open for any individual state to make an exception. Dr. Kellen encouraged those of us treating horses with pergolide to write our state's board of pharmacy and have our vets do the same. As always, she reminded us to keep chasing signatures. Quote, we need to keep the petition rolling, too. It's the documentation of need. Contact your local horse groups, 4-H clubs, breed organizations, anyone you can think of. Send them to the library to sign if you have to. But keep the signatures coming. We can do this. End quote. 
Dr. Kellen also posted her most recent reply to Dr. Larkins. This was the beginning of what would become an absolute deluge of contacts from list members to the FDA once it got rolling. In part, she had written, quote, One of the reasons for the petition, which currently has almost 1,400 signatures from both owners and veterinarians, was to document that there is, indeed, a sizable market and need. Use of pergolide in horses, a non-food animal, poses no threat to human health and is of no environmental concern. We feel the petition, which represents only a fraction of the horses impacted, establishes the need, and with voluntary withdrawal of the drug by prior manufacturers, we have a de facto loss of availability and no approved avenues for obtaining it. End quote. The activity on the Cushing's list was not completely taken over by this situation during this time. There were new members, of course, who were greeted by the designated first responders in the group. There were a few people who were struggling with balancing their animals' diets or getting their hooves trimmed right. There was some good news, and there were, of course, a few horses in crisis. There were also a few owners who, for one reason or another, had made the decision to euthanize their animals which in a group like this does happen from time to time. These were accompanied by many tears and notes of condolence across the group. Beneath the flood of information about Pergolide, there was the ongoing business as usual. To pull this story together for you, I went back to the 2007 archive and read every message on the list during this period, and I will tell you, more than 700 of those messages were devoted to the pergolide crisis alone. Keep in mind also that for every post to the list, it meant some member was doing something significant in the background. Every single one of us was looking at a grim future if we lost access to pergolide and nobody wanted to face that. Beth posted about her four horses on pergolide, quote, I can say that Jet, on three milligrams per day, and barely hanging on, won't. Her original baseline ACTH prior to starting treatment last summer, ACTH in excess of 1,250. Normal range is well below 40. Seth, on 2.5 milligrams per day, and frankly diabetic, on ultra-low-carb pellets, won't make it without. Acorn, on 0.5 milligrams per day, who had foundered continuously for over a year before he came to us, might live without pergolide, live to founder again. And little Missy, our new pony rescue, well, her ACTH without her pergolide, 1.5 milligrams per day, is 559. She will also not make it. Oh, and her glucose on low-carb hay was 186. Nope, she won't make it long either. Normal blood glucose in a horse on that diet should be well under 100. Unless we have an alternative, I won't personally let them just deteriorate when my three-month supply runs out. How can I do that? End quote. On the afternoon of April 13th, Dr. Kellen heard from a member who'd spoken to someone at the FDA and been told that we had their ear. They got it. At least they said they did. They were hoping to publish a statement within a week. 
we were cautiously optimistic and hoping that their statement would be in our favor. At this point, we had over 2,000 signatures on the petition. However, there was still a whole ton of stuff we didn't know. Jen from Alaska posted what we were all feeling. Quote, I signed the petition back last week. I cross-posted to a few boards. I've talked to my pharmacist, who is working on some things. I have emailed with my vet, who is watching Dr. K's message on the vet serves. Now what? End quote. Dr. Kellen suggested she call the FDA Compliance Division and give them H-E double toothpicks. But she also reminded us to remember the role of the FDA. And while we should hold them to account for it, there are two sides to the compounding story. At this same time, literally the same time, there was a move afoot in the U.S. legislature to drastically restrict the compounding of medications by these specialty pharmacies that we were using. This was part of some of the discussion because it was happening at the same time, but we were trying to avoid talking about it so as not to confuse the issue with the pergolide withdrawal. About mid-April, one of Dr. Kellen's posts explained this, quote, The current problem is that when the FDA approved compounding, it was with the belief that it would only be done when there was a unique need to change the physical characteristics of a product, e.g., make a liquid for an elderly patient that can't swallow pills. As a result, compounding pharmacies are not subject to inspections the way drug companies are and are not required to prove that their products actually contain what they say they contain. In the original framework, which basically amounted to crushing up a pill and suspending it in a liquid, that wasn't a problem. But now that drugs, especially on the veterinary end, are basically being mass-produced by compounding pharmacies, you can kind of see the FDA's point. End quote. On April 17th, the horse published another piece about the pergolide situation. This time, based on an interview they did with Dr. Kellen, it had more facts in it than the first one. At this point also, we started getting form letter replies from the FDA CVM. Not terribly helpful replies, but at least they had put together something to specifically answer the inquiries about pergolide. That was heartening. Dr. Kellen also posted an announcement she'd received from the AAEP. It said in part that the FDA expected to have an official announcement by the end of this week. So this was the second time we were told we would hear back soon from FDA. First, on the 13th, they said they would have an announcement within a week. And then, on the 17th, the AAEP said that the FDA expected to make an announcement by the end of the week. Still, cautiously optimistic. On Wednesday, the 18th, Dr. Kellen shared another email from Dr. Larkins, quote, Since my previous response, the recent voluntary withdrawal of the human pergolide product has come under more discussion within the Center for Veterinary Medicine, CVM. At this time, the impact of that withdrawal on the future availability of the product to veterinarians for use in the treatment of equine Cushing's disease is under review and consideration by CVM. Thank you for bringing this issue to the center's attention and for providing the documentation to support your concern. End quote. Of course, by documentation, she meant at least in part the petition. So we all sort of sat on the edges of our seats for a few days, hoping that the announcement would be forthcoming. 
those of us who had sent our pleas to the FDA, received form responses from Dr. Larkins with very similar wording to the one Dr. Kellen received. It was April 25th, a full week later, that we started to get itchy again. In response to a post from Nicole, who had asked if anyone knew anything new at all, Dr. Kellen answered, quote, Such as it is, here goes. The veterinary side of the FDA, CVM, Center for Veterinary Medicine, did prepare a proposal for an interim solution. I spoke to the officer, that's what they call them at the FDA, officer, in charge of that. He would not tell me what was in it, but did tell me that he had sent it over to FDA Maine for approval. The approval was expected to have occurred by last Friday at the latest. That was the announcement we were expecting, but never appeared. On Tuesday, he said he was hoping to see it soon. Part of the problem is priority. They're a tad distracted by the contaminated pet food fiasco, but even more important is that none of the immediate available options are very appealing to the FDA, end quote. She gave us a list of possible solutions that the FDA could implement, which she'd put together for a horse journal article, and it led with this suggestion, quote, The FDA could publish a specific exemption from the prohibition on compounding from bulk drugs with regard to pergolide in horses with Cushing's disease. This would immediately free drug wholesalers to supply compounders. We favor this as a short-term solution. Further on, she continued, In speaking with the FDA on Tuesday, it was abundantly clear that granting an exception for bulk compounding was the last thing they wanted to do. The current compounding furor, with abuses on both human and veterinary ends, haven't helped us any. End quote. Another member, Mara, had a long conversation with Dr. Larkins by phone. She even provided a bit of an education about the disorder, showing what a reservoir of knowledge exists within the group. Quote, I said that when you weighed the risk of a compounded product against laminitis and euthanasia, common sense would indicate an exception for the compounded pergolide. I also stress that there has been no heart valve damage documented in equines, and even if there was a 20% chance, I'd still take that chance, as the risk of laminitis is 100%. She got that. A risk-benefit ratio issue. I asked her to take another look at our petition, which now has over 3,000 signatures and testimonials. I gave her a specific testimonial about Allie's Cushing's and how she was literally dying before my eyes and how Pergolide saved her life. I told her about the fall seasonal ACTH rise and how some owners need to increase the Pergolide in the fall, as that is when laminitis tends to strike, and that it will be disaster if there is a shortage then. We need this resolved now. She didn't know about the seasonal rise of ACTH. Please, everyone, call and make yourselves heard. End quote. At this point, it was April 27th, a solid week after we were expecting to hear from the FDA, when Dr. Kellen posted an urgent request to get busy and cross-post an email that she had sent to several principals at the FDA. It was pretty direct and pulled no punches. In the email, she said in part, quote, 
At this stage of your investigation into the pergolide availability problem, I am also quite sure that everyone realizes by now that a very high percentage of horses being treated with pergolide were using bulk compounded drug. In fact, I would venture to say it is well over 90%. Below is an excerpt from a message I received yesterday from a large veterinary compounder. This one pharmacy alone was likely supplying as many horses as the low-end estimate of PPID cases I had sent previously. If his estimation of the timeline is correct, it is now critically important to avoid any further delay. We are running out of time here, and it's the animals that are going to pay the price. Below that, she included an email from David Gaudio, doctor of pharmacy, which read, I service probably 5,000 or so horses and hundreds of clinics around the country. The main problem is that the drug takes about one month to get into the USA and go through customs. There is at most six to eight weeks supply left at the pharmacies and none at any wholesalers. There may be a few pharmacies that have more, but they will run out quickly. So we are talking nothing available from... July, August, end quote. This was some big news, and of course, it set off a discussion about what we would each be able or willing to do for our horses if the supply ran out before an FDA decision, with the seasonal ACTH rise looming. There were several posts about this, and mine was typical. Quote, If we get as far out as the seasonal rise and later into fall, he will probably not survive. I will not let him waste away, though. He nearly died of this once, and I'm not going to put him through that again. End quote. Members got busy again, writing their congressmen, sending pictures of their horses with letters to the FDA, writing to their governors, state boards of pharmacy, and local news outlets. We hoped that if they could get local coverage, it might get picked up by the national networks. It was pretty crazy. Every time a member contacted someone, they would post to the group, and then, if they got a reply, they would post that to the group as well. As the petition grew to 70 pages of signatures and more, it was sent regularly to anyone who might have a role in moving the decision forward, particularly the officials at the FDA. Then, Dr. Kellen realized that in addition to documenting the need, we could document the shortage. So she posted another request to the group, quote, I'd like as many people as possible to call five, ten, or more pharmacies in your local area. Ask them if they have any pergolide pills, and if they do, how many, what strength. Jot down the date, pharmacy name, and how much, if any, they have. Send that information to the big five below, with a CC to me. If you are uncomfortable doing that, please send it to me, and I'll forward it, identified only by your city town. The only legal source in the FDA's eyes is the pills. The sooner we can document they are gone or about to be, the better. End quote. This idea took off, and several of the group members did this. Long lists of local pharmacies who were completely out of Permax or generic pergolide began to appear in the discussion. It was glaringly obvious that except for a few compounders who stocked up early, there was no pergolide to be had and there was certainly not enough to make the many millions of doses that would be needed. As we watched this unfold, 
the information that the compounders would need a month to restock made it pretty frightful. One of our members, Patty, put together a blog with the important information as a place to collect our resources. I've used the blog quite a bit in putting together this story for you. It is still live, and I've posted a link to it in the show notes at atimeforhorses.com forward slash regulatory discretion. It was the end of April. We were still getting thank you for your concern letters from the FDA, and we were all becoming increasingly anxious about the future. Dr. Kellen didn't shy away from sharing her own frustration either. Quote, This whole situation is like sitting on a Florida beach in gorgeous weather while the radio tells you a Category 5 hurricane is 48 hours away. End quote. And there was more bad news. In spite of all the members whose compounders said they had bought plenty of the drug to last a while and had talked to their suppliers and didn't expect a problem. Another member said that Cardinal, a multi-billion dollar pharmacy wholesaler, was completely stocked out of Permax and Pergolide Mesolate tablets. None of the compounding wholesalers had ordered any Pergolide, nor did they plan to order any until the FDA gave them the green light. This was the 1st of May, approaching two weeks after we had first expected an FDA announcement and a month after the original announcement. The next day was pretty crazy on the list, as we were getting closer and closer to something like panic. There were dozens of messages about how to get various celebrities involved. People were grasping at straws. Late in the day, Dr. Kellen posted an update. Quote, there was a grapevine rumor that today was to be the day for the FDA announcement. In view of that, I waited to call the FDA again. Not too surprisingly, no announcement. We have updates on adding hydrogen peroxide to fish water, but nothing on our horses. They haven't even officially issued a press statement to the effect that they are working on the problem. Don't let a day go by without contacting the FDA. And please, we need more regional pergolide pill in pharmacies information. It doesn't matter if your horse actually has Cushing's or not. It doesn't matter if you have a stash of compounded pergolide or your compounder says they do. The FDA is supposed to be concerned with legally available drug. Document that you have no legally available source. End quote. Sherry was one of many who submitted an appeal to her local TV outlets, titled, FDA Action Causes Horse Health Crisis. Quote, The horse world is about to suffer a huge setback, and it appears the FDA is dragging its feet. There are tens of thousands of older horses in this country whose lives depend on a very small dose of pergolide, which the FDA has pulled from the market due to heart valve concerns in human Parkinson's patients. Pergolide has been used in horses for over 10 years, with numerous studies determining that it is the only viable treatment for equine Cushing's disease. We need your help to put pressure on the FDA. Time is running out. End quote. Another piece was published in The Horse on May 4th, and The Chronicle of the Horse agreed to publish a piece by Karen Briggs. More form letters came from the FDA. But even so, you know, I said that the ordinary business of the list was carrying on underneath this crisis. It was May 5th when we got one of those messages, 
that sets you back on your heels a little. It was difficult timing, really. But Chris from Canada posted a touching tribute. I'm going to paraphrase it for you here. Quote, My wonderful Irish sport horse mare, whom I met as a three-year-old and brought home from Ireland as a four-year-old in 1985, died in my arms on Thursday after the vet diagnosed severe gas colic due to an obstruction the morning of May 3rd. She was euthanized in her stall. She had been my amazing partner in the hunter-jumper ring for many years until a tendon injury forced her retirement in the mid-1990s. I am only now, crying still, able to write this. While words cannot adequately express my grief at the loss of my best friend and companion of over 22 years, they can certainly thank Dr. Kellen and all the selfless people who are part of the Cushing's IR group, in particular Patty, who gave so much excellent help and advice in understanding and treating her Cushing's and IR. She certainly would not have lived out her final few years in as much comfort and happiness as she did without their contributions. I hope the fight for the availability of equine pergolide prevails. I have signed the petition and told everyone I know to support the issue. And that those of you continuing on with your Cushing's IR horses are able to continue treating them effectively as we have been able to do. Good luck to all of you. End quote. May 6th, more letters to Congress. Someone wrote to Willie Nelson. More members contacted local TV and radio stations. And everyone posted to the group what they had done as inspiration. Then on the 7th, Dr. Kellen posted an odd request. She reposted it again over the next few days. We weren't quite sure what she was asking, but people responded, quote, we're planning a surprise for the powers that be and need some help. Anyone who is willing to spend about $20 and just a little time to help the pergolide cause, please send me a private email and I'll forward you the details. End quote. Angela posted an update she had gotten from Ombudsman Bear. Quote, We've definitely heard your cry for action and CVM should be posting new information soon. Virginia. End quote. Soon. What did soon mean? It was May 8th, and people were reporting on the status of their pergolide refills. It was May 9th, and Judy was interviewed by her local NBC affiliate, WJAC-TV, in Pennsylvania, and the story ran on the 5 p.m., 11 p.m., and 6 a.m. news broadcasts. On May 10th, Dr. Kellen was coordinating with the people who had volunteered to spend $20 and a little bit of time to surprise the folks at the FDA. On the morning of May 11th, Dr. Kellen posted message number 91487, a single line. It was actually just a link to the FDA website. And the subject of the message was all in caps, just like the message that had started the whole crisis at the end of March. The subject read, Pergolide. We won. Clicking on the link took you to a statement by the FDA that read, in part, quote, 
CVM recognizes that veterinarians are prescribing pergolide for the treatment of Cushing's syndrome in horses under the provisions of the Animal Medicinal Drug Use Clarification Act, which allows veterinary practitioners to prescribe approved human drugs for extra-label use in animals. FDA is working with the sponsors of the approved products and all other interested parties to ensure that pergolide remains available to treat Cushing's syndrome in horses until a new animal drug application is approved for that use. This includes trying to make the approved product available through veterinary distribution channels and exercising enforcement discretion, as appropriate, over the pharmacy compounding of pergolide. Bulk substance used for pharmacy compounding should be labeled for animal use only, end quote. You can well imagine the whooping and hollering on the list that day. Chris from Canada said, quote, What incredibly wonderful news. Despite my recent loss of my beloved mare, this post has brought a smile to my face and lifted my heart to know that people can make a difference if they fight hard and pull together for what is important. Bravo, Dr. Kellen, and all who joined her to provide this amazing result. End quote. The next day, Dr. Kellen put up a couple of long posts. The first one was to the group. Quote, It's been a long six weeks. Crash course in drug laws, the inner workings of the FDA, ups, downs, frustration, planning strategies. Who do you hit first? What can they actually do? False starts, back on track. I swear I don't know how people do this for a living. Let me just say one thing. This could never have happened without the backdrop of thousands of contacts to the FDA from each and every one of you and all the people you told. I talked to Marsha Larkins on the phone Thursday night. In the process of that call, I could feel her frustration at all the calls, emails, letters, and faxes they were getting. She said many of them working on this were vets and horse owners. She didn't get why we were flooding them with all these contacts. Thought about that a while. And Friday morning, I sent this mail to the powers that be. She quotes herself here. I would like to explain that the reason you continue to receive a high volume of communication on this topic, beyond the obvious owner concern, is that we are completely in the dark regarding how much pergolide is still out there in circulation. Compounders that did not have large stocks are panicking owners with statements to the effect that there is only a month or two supply of drug in the pharmacies. If the estimate of 75,000 horses on it nationwide is close, that's 2,250,000 milligrams per month at the average one milligram dose. 2,250 kilos of drug required. Our goal is to prevent a single horse from running out of drug. End quote. She also included another email to the Big Five in which she reported data she had collected from the group's polling of their veterinarians. She explained how she had calculated the number of horses on Pergolide, and then said, quote, If you use the lower figure, this amounts to 75,000 horses using this drug, and the magnitude of the problem exceeds the tainted pet food disaster. Her message to us continued. Did that help? Don't know, but if they hadn't moved, 
the surprise was gearing up and ready to go. We were going to have between 35 and 40 express mail boxes, not envelopes, delivered to David Horowitz's office at the same time. Inside each box would be a printed copy of the petition signatures and a pointed cover letter. On that same day, we were set up to tie up his fax machine for a bare minimum of an hour, also faxing each and every signature. Local news and TV were to have been tipped off, and a letter to the editor would have been sent to every newspaper in the Baltimore, D.C. area, starting something like, The office of David Horowitz, Division of Compliance in the FDA, will be a hectic place today. What a relief not to have to do it. What a privilege to work with a group of people like you. End quote. Even for a few days after, it took some time for the group to make sense of the FDA announcement. Dr. Kellen ironed out some of the wrinkles for us. Quote, In case anyone is wondering about nuances in the FDA statement, what we had requested was an exemption from the prohibition on compounding from bulk drug. What we got was regulatory discretion. The exemption would have been a statement that they are allowing it, not considering it illegal. The regulatory discretion basically means they'll look the other way, but technically they still consider it illegal. Either one keeps the flow of drug to the compounders. They are saying they won't move against the compounders or wholesalers. Until and unless an FDA-approved option comes along, compounding will continue to be your source of pergolide. End quote. And that was it. With a stroke of a pen, the scare was over, and tens of thousands of horse owners across America continued to treat their horses with pergolide. And they lived. Even my little Tony the Pony continued to receive his pergolide, steadily increasing the dose over time for another four years. In the end, we let him go before he got to the point where laminitis became a part of his life. He may have been a troublemaker, but no horse should develop laminitis. Epilogue. The following two statements come from the FDA archives, with sort of good news, bad news. Quote, In September 2011, FDA approved Presend, pergolide mesylate tablets, to control the clinical signs associated with equine Cushing's disease. Presend is the first and so far only FDA-approved animal drug that contains pergolide as the active ingredient. Manufactured by Boringer Ingelheim Vetmedica Incorporated, Presend is a prescription drug available in the United States as one milligram tablets. The second message followed closely behind. In the past, veterinarians prescribed human pergolide products to treat Cushing's disease in horses under the extra-label use provisions of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. However, in May 2007, the human pergolide products were removed from the market. At that time, FDA stated that it would work to ensure that pergolide remained available until a new animal drug application was approved. FDA stated that this would include, among other things, exercising enforcement discretion as appropriate over the pharmacy compounding of pergolide for use in animals. However, because FDA has approved 
NADA 141-331, the conditions under which the agency was exercising enforcement discretion no longer exist, end quote. For the time being, the compounding pharmacies were on their own again, but eventually this too was resolved. In 2015, the FDA issued a new guidance document changing the rules about compounding. This guideline replaced the one that was keeping the bulk pergolide at our borders, and it reads in part, quote, Generally, FDA does not intend to take action if a state-licensed pharmacy or a licensed veterinarian compounds animal drugs from bulk drug substances, and the drug is not otherwise adulterated or misbranded. End quote. This new rule was put in place because, and it said right in there, the old rule was obsolete. As of today, there are likely thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of horses whose lives have been extended because of the availability of pergolide, both the name brand and compounded. Tony the Pony lived six years on the treatment and I personally know many other horses who have done the same. There's another member of my extended horse family who's on Pergolide now, and looking at her today, I thought again that Pergolide is a miracle drug. On behalf of all horses with PPID, I want to say a heartfelt thank you to Dr. Eleanor Kellen, to all of the members of the Equine Cushing's group who pitched in during a difficult time, to the 5,307 people who signed the petition, and to every person at the FDA who was a part of the effort to keep this drug available for equine use. enjoyed this story about the great pergolide scare of 2007 and how a grassroots effort saved so many lives. I'll be back in a few weeks with another story, this time a story about how the apple may sometimes fall away from the tree, but it usually stays in the orchard. If you're listening to our show on the web, you may already know that our website is atimeforhorses.com. And you'll find the notes for this episode at atimeforhorses.com forward slash regulatory discretion. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your reaction to the show. Drop us an email at feedback at atimeforhorses.com and let us know what you want more of or less of or shoot us a story idea. I'm collecting a list of story topics on my chalkboard. And they didn't all come from me, so add yours to the mix. If nothing else, you know the thing that makes a good podcast great? More listeners. So go ahead and tell someone the old-fashioned way that you are enjoying our show. That's how we continue to grow, you know? If you're new to the concept of listening to a podcast, I'm really glad to hear it. You can subscribe to the show for free and never miss an episode. Just go to atimeforhorses.com forward slash subscribe for links to the various places where you can find us. And thanks for giving me your ear space. I'll see you next time. ¶¶